from the heart of Dubai, where tomorrow is being built today to the world. Welcome to the CTO Show with Mehmet. Here, we redefine technology and reimagine possibilities. With Mehmet, delve into the riveting realms of AI, cybersecurity, and digital technology. Experience the thrilling highs and lows of startups. Immerse yourself in the spirit of entrepreneurship and witness the future of business innovation being written in real time. Now, without further ado, let's tune in and explore the future. Hello and welcome back to a new episode of the CTO Show with Mehmet. Today, I'm very pleased to have with me joining from the U.S., Vladimir Branov. Vladimir, thank you very much for making it on the show. The way, as I was telling you, I like to do it. I keep it to my guests to introduce themselves. The reason is, I believe no one can introduce someone else better than themselves. So the floor is yours. Well, there's always the exception of your mother. Um, hi, everybody. Mehmet, <laughs> thank you so much for having me on your show. Uh, my name is Vladimir Baranov, and I'm an executive coach for tech leaders and founders. Uh, my career spans from doing anything in robotics, uh, financial technology, and uh, space technologies, across which I had a pleasure managing and cooperating with a lot of technology folks, and I got to learn. And all that learnings I was able to incorporate into my current executive coaching practice. Cool, that's perfect. Now let's start from you know from your intro, actually, Vladimir. So how do you define um, you know first the executive coaching, especially in the context of uh, tech startups? Absolutely, absolutely. And I think one thing I want to mention is that. Coaching has many definitions between different practitioners. And uh, for me personally, I feel it's more like a co-pilot. It's a second brain that you have as you're talking to the coach, exploring the possibilities in your world. And I want to break down a little bit definitions-wise for the listeners and the viewers, uh, if there is any confusion. There's generally four categories of the type of advisory or coaching that is available. It's mentoring, consulting, therapy, and coaching. Um, in consulting, you pay somebody and that person provides you a product exactly as you wanted. In mentoring, you're asking somebody to train you, sharing their experience and telling them, telling you how you want to build based on their experience. In therapy, we go into your past and try to figure out how that past made you who you are. And then there's coaching. Coaching is before therapy, but after mentoring. So that means I'm there, but not offering any consultations. I'm there as a co-pilot, helping you navigate through whatever obstacle you're there, but within the context of technology, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, you know, it's nice you, you, you just made the difference between coaching and mentoring, actually. Um, so, because I think, and I believe people mix them sometimes, right? So, uh, so how how do you balance? You know, um, because in in coaching, you mentioned you are you are a co-pilot, right? So, uh, what is the limit? You know that usually you like to put from you know to balance between offering the guidance 
versus also at the same time, because you work with tech leaders, right? So you work with, with someone who's supposed to be a leader. So how you do this balancing between just, you know, taking the driver's seat versus letting them actually take that direction, if you absolutely. get what I mean. No, absolutely. Um, so in coaching, the client is always in a driver's seat. A coach who's familiar with context, let's say technology context or startup context that I coach in, is that I know the lay of the land, but I do not give direct advice in that session. As a coaching responsibility, my responsibility is to say, hey, what about that hill? What do you think about that hill and what do you think is behind it? And when the person replies back, we can take that answer and let's say rearrange it. Okay, you gave me a vision of that hill. How's that vision of that hill will help you get to the place where you're going? And as you mentioned, we are all leaders and we're kind of supposed to know what we're doing. But what in my experience has happened and also with my own leadership experience, it's always good to have somebody else to look at what you're seeing, to look at your facts and see what other possibilities are there and what other conclusions can be made. And through coaching and through uh, inquisitive questioning, uh, we're able to explore and discover within your context of what the possibilities are. Because when I am coaching, I don't always know the details of what things and events that person who is being coached is experiencing, and only they would be able to pull up all the details. If I'm starting advising, just pulling things from my experience, I'm in a little bit of a danger of giving advice, which does not necessarily match the context. So it is my mm -hmm. responsibility to keep that consulting to the um, most minimum. Got you. Now, at what stage, Vladimir, usually you advise people to start having coach? Uh, before they want to start coaching. <laughs> uh, generally, it's a, it's a good idea to be ex exposed uh, to such practice because as leaders, we need to be aware of all the different tools and approaches in order for us to navigate a challenge. And uh, as I teach my, my uh, daughter and also as I teach others, exposure is number one thing that helps us understand how to solve the problem. We don't necessarily need to understand all the details about the approach, but knowing that it's there, knowing that you have somebody to call, knowing that you can read something about that topic in the context helps you that. So to answer your question, exposure to all methodologies, including coaching as early as possible is better as you are venturing into the depth of leadership. That's uh, fantastic. Now, maybe a, a, a little bit uh, odd question, I would say, how I can measure, you know, the impact of this, you know, coaching uh, practice so, so, so how I can, you know, if I'm, I'm coming to a coach like yourself, Vladimir, so how I can start to see improvements. And from the same time, if I am the coach, how do I know that, you know, whoever I'm, I'm, I'm coaching is also following, you know, the, the path that we want them to be on? That's a fantastic question. And uh, let's say for those who have not been exposed to coaching before, uh, the stereotypes generally come up is that it's some frou-frou, uh, highly emotional, uh, very feeling-based, uh, not necessarily factual experience, and maybe some of it is true from stereotypical point for uh, therapy. Uh, but coaching 
sessions are usually incredibly structured. Uh, for each uh, session, uh, the client has to bring a topic, a specific topic, or maybe a couple, out of which we select one or two, and that's what we focus on. Initially in the session, we also establish goals for that conversation. So at the end of the conversation, we know whether we have actually accomplished that goal or not. And as the client goes uh, through the facts, through the emotions, through the sessions, through the questions, it is a coach's responsibility at the very end to wrap up, to see what a client has learned over the session, and also any sort of commitments that client can make in the relationship to the specific goal over time uh, that client selects. Now, what happens after that session, in the following session, we get to review all those commitments that the client made and see whether they were completed or not. So you can see we do dive in emotionally, we do dive factually, we do dive exploratory in the problem, but when we emerge, we have a concrete list of things that we, the client is committed to accomplishing that allow us to measure uh, the success. So those metrics are both used by the coach and also used uh, by the client. Now, I just wanna make sure I, I wanna mention something. Coach is not there to judge where you have completed your tasks or not, because mm -hmm. again, you're a co-pilot, you're not a manager, you're not a judge, you're not a mentor. Uh, and in that way, a uh, client holds all the responsibility for commitments. And let's say for the following meeting, if the commitments were not completed, it is up to client to select, let's say a topic mentioning like, hey, listen, I think I would like more accountability or I would like to figure out why I wasn't able to go through my commitments. And then the, as a coach, uh, you can go ahead and work through those uh, details and see how those commitments can actually be completed for next time. That's fantastic, uh, Vladimir. Now, I'm not sure if you will agree with me or no, but especially for people in tech, and you know, we are like kind of stubborn people, and sometimes we say, why even we need someone to coach us and sometimes you know you see I'm, I'm talking here by also about myself as well at some stage in, in in my life you know like i'm the you know genius that knows everything why i need coach and you know i'm sure like as as someone who have seen a lot vladimir so what are usually other challenges you see so the first thing like i can know from myself and then of course i i need to work on on my own mentality and the growth mindset and all this and you know to figure out yeah i need some people you know, start to mentor me and then maybe to coach me and so on but what are like some of the challenges you see especially in tech leaders whether you know in established organizations or in startup they face um to to figure out that actually they need some coaching and how you know you tailor your approach because you mentioned something like a few seconds ago, like, you know, you have also the personality trait as well. So how, how do you manage this, this uh, you know, aspect of different personalities, different mentalities, and so on? Absolutely. That's a great question. I hope I'm not going to fill up the rest of the podcast uh, with my answer. No, that's fine. <laughs> um, we are all humans from the same genetical line. So in a sense, we are all smart enough. If you take a couple of us, put us in the Petri dish, do a simulation and over thousands of years, we're probably going to end up in a similar version of civilization that we live now. So in a sense, we accept that we are all have the potential to figure out the things over time. The big question is 
how much time do you have to figure them out? And that is the main question that I asked the technologists who are merging from individual contributor phase into more leadership and managerial. How much time do they have to figure out how to solve the problem? Because there is a great pressure on technologists who from early educational level have been probably commented, uh, commended for their mathematical skills, for their engineering skills, for their logic skills, for their puzzle solving skills, all of the work which they have done on their own. So that means that in isolation between them and the puzzle, between them and the problem, they figured out how to do that well. And they try to transfer the same kind of learning experience and problem solving experience to when it comes to problem, uh, people problem solving. And it doesn't necessarily work because the problem does not get hurt when you try to solve it incorrectly. The puzzle doesn't get, again, upset when you're not putting it correctly. So when you're trying to do people management, it's very crucial that you are doing things as good and as, um, uh, as perfectly as possible during the initial phases. Now, that transition is an important one that I want to explore with the uh, technology leaders where they don't need to learn a lot of things from scratch. Like in the same way that we're not going to a library to search for something that we're using Google, it's okay to go to um, mentors, it's okay to go to consultants, it's okay to go to coaches for various different of problem solving ways to get to the place where you actually end up with that learning. We are really having an argument over which learning curve is best for you in the moment. If you need something to be figured out in days, weeks, then probably you, it's not something that you should be doing by yourself. It's good to have a supporting staff. If you have all the timelines, if you have a thousand years to learn that craft, to learn that interpersonal relationship with every single person in the way that's supposed to, then um, you know that's that's up to you that you, you go ahead and you do that. But no matter how smart you are, no matter how experienced you are, there's always places in our life where we're experiencing that other perspectives are very important. Remember the, in the internet meme a couple years ago about the blue dress and gold dress? Yeah. There's no way if you're a blue dress person, you could have figured out that there's another person out there in the world who has view of the dress being gold, unless the person stood up and told you that they have that perspective. As a leader, you kind of have to guess what perspectives are in your staff, in the people who report to you before you make a statement, before you make a project and having that openness, open-mindedness or having consulted or coached on this kind of issues before helps you understand and empathize with the people that you work in order to be that great leader, if that makes sense. That's hundred percent makes sense, Vladimir. And I, I love you know the lost the lost piece, you know. And I think a lot of us um, at different stage in times we 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 forget to look outside, you know, and try to 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 see the world in from different perspectives. So we always look at from you know. I would say the, the the perspective that we we can't see, and we don't go and ask for feedback. And I think this is one of the uh, main thing that lead, great leaders they do actually they seek you know the, the the feedback from other people, which I think it's uh, 
it's it's something that every leader should do now like from from you know your your point of view um how do you think uh you know on the long term right an impact can be left through a uh, you know leadership coaching especially when i'm talking here maybe founders um in, in the startups uh, that they might not immediately see results and we 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 talked about how you can measure this but what what do you aim usually to to see on the long run when you engage with someone uh, for for coaching absolutely i think the first word which comes to mind to answer that question is autonomy it's mm-hmm. how we learn to walk it's how we learn to drive and for very few of us how we learn to fly the first steps are stumbles but they get us in the direction in which we want to go but over time we take off those training wheels or we at least hand of our parent and we're able to go on our own thus achieving full autonomy in that task and that is also responsibility of a coach where the client will come in with a specific topic which they want to uh, get growth on. We have a couple conversations. And over time, there is that autonomy within that topic that the client can now lean on because the client developed it themselves without me telling them exactly how to do that. Over time, they, they can leverage in the future. But also, there's an introduction of inkling of a different kind of autonomy, because once you get exposed to a couple of coaching sessions, there is enough retrospection where each individual tries thinking, what if I start asking the similar type of questions for any new topic that comes Mm -hmm. up in my life? So that's a different kind of autonomy. That's kind of the exploration, questionable inquisitiveness uh, autonomy that is left. So over time, while we do uh, uh, resolve uh, some of the initial topics, we're also introduce new concepts that make it even better for the person to approach the topics in the future. Fantastic. Now, I want to shift gear a little bit to, to something, you know, another topic uh, that I believe we, we, by the way, we didn't discuss it, and I think it's underrated. And it's, it's somehow related to coaching because I believe if leaders get this, they will have better operations, they will have better results in their uh, organizations. And what I'm talking about here, Vladimir, is, you know, the interplay of technology and organizational behavior, right? And the place I want to start from is, you know, the technology's influence on organizational behavior. So from your experience, uh, how, you, you you know, you see technology shaping or redefining organizational behavior especially in, in, in startup environment. Absolutely. I think it also depends who are the individuals are that are part of that initial startup makeup. Generally in startup, we like to break down people into two groups, the non-technology people and technology people. Mm-hmm. When you take technology people and uh, and including myself, with immediate inkling or feeling is that technology is a solution to everything. 
and mm -hmm. forgetting the user as uh, the important component of that solution. We look as technologists on the technology itself as an isolated, perfect product that we have built and it has all the answers in the world from the way that we see the, the technologists see the universe. And a lot of technologists, a lot of uh, people rolling out from school or from incubators uh, or pre-idea stages, again, including myself, I had to go through those stages. We think mm -hmm. that technology in the end will solve all the problems if you use it the way that we think it should be used. And then we take this technology to the market or we take that technology to the first users and nobody's using it in a way that we want it to be used. And mm -hmm. I think it's one of the first learnings that technology startup founders are getting is that how important it is to talk to the users first, how important to you talk to the clients first, how important it is to solve the human end of the problem with imperfect technology and then iterate after versus building a perfect technology solution for our vision of how the world works and then pushing it onto users so they are using it. We see examples of it in a large enterprise organizations which do not have um, a lot of uh, budget to optimize for each uh, UX, UI um, experience, uh, be that government or a large enterprise, uh, and user suffers as a part of that. And going back to our original set of, uh, configuration of the startup, another combination that you have is you have a non-techy person and you have uh, a technology person. There you have a, a little bit better setup because in an immediate uh, starting point, you have a person who introduces the personal interface, the non-techy person uh, to the technologies, but you get conflict immediately because you have to resolve the differences of how these two people view the world. So to contrast right. that with, let's say two technologies starting uh, the company where they are aligned, but they're aligned not necessarily in the right direction, and the second setup is where you have uh, two humans uh, which are slightly disaligned in their worldview. Now, it's a problem, but also it's a great thing in its um, making because if that conflict is resolved, those two individuals learn how to cooperate going forward through their differences, not their similarities, and how to merge the ideas of the human interface uh, with the technology interface in order to achieve that solution that the end user wants. Um, so technology there, if we, going back to your question, is acting as the proxy to the solution that we're trying to uh, bring to the user. And whether it's implemented with one vision or the other vision, that's the, the crux uh, of, of the problem that uh, we have at the initial stages of the startup. And I think, Vladimir, this is why, you know, in every single book I read, in every single article, they always advise founders, especially technology founders uh, or like tech founders to find someone who has the skills that they don't have, which are maybe the human skills, maybe sales, marketing, uh, hiring and all this so they can complete each other's. Of course, like uh, I know for a fact, like, and I heard a lot of stories, you know, where they clash at the beginning maybe two or three founders because they come from, you know, different worlds, I would say. And then, but at the end, as you said, once things start to settle, 
they start to see their personalities completing each other. So, so it becomes like a, you know, a, a, an orchestra or a harmony of, of people working together. Now, back to your point, I, I think the human element is very, very important, um, you know, and, and in the aspect for this. So maybe in startups, it's easy uh, because, you know, the number of people we need to, to deal with is, is small. And you mentioned about enterprises. So usually like when, when we talk about large enterprises, and I'm, I know that I focus on startups, but I, again, I always believe in, you know, uh, putting an end in mind or thinking about the end in mind. So down the road, what are like some of the strategies that, you know, the founders they can put so they keep maintaining this balance when they hire more people and they start to scale and they start to grow up? Absolutely. That's, that's a great question. Uh, there is, I think, no perfect solution because every industry is different and industry, not technology, usually uh, dictates uh, the culture of the organization. There are certain things about culture that could be scaled and certain uh, aspects of the culture that cannot be. When you have a, a small organization of two, three, five, ten, twenty people, where everybody knows everybody's first names, their children' names, their parents' names, it's much easier to naturally have a human bond with everybody in the organization and carry that mission across. When it comes to a large organization of thousands, of ten thousands, a hundred thousand people, it's impossible to even know the first two hundred people which are working on the floor. Even if they, you are working on the same floor, you might not be working on the same function on the same project and so on. What some of the great companies have done uh, at scale, and that's probably um, having identified those unique cultural characteristics and attributes that actually define the brand of the company and perpetuating them throughout the organization through training, through onboarding, and importantly, through practicing of those by the leaders of the organization. Mm -hmm. So if let's say you have a, a value with client is number one, and what I'm not gonna argue whether that's a good value or not value, but if at some point leadership in the organization does not practice that value, it deteriorates the brand of the company internally and anybody else who is not in the leadership looks at that and says, oh, it's just words. It really has no meaning. But when you have organizations where the leaders uh, are practicing the values of the company day to day in the emails, in uh, writings, in speeches, in appearances, and their actions, that cultural cohesions become much stronger. Now, you will never get to the place of strong bond as it is in a small organization of 20 but you can at least know and expect that people in various parts of a larger organization would be looking at the same leadership practices and you're gonna be able to cooperate them with expected matter, with expected uh, cultural um, uh, attributes. Yeah, so, so here I think we go back maybe to the, because you talked about leadership. I think this is where the coaching become a very important part of, of that, right, Vladimir? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, so, so now let's go back to the leadership a little bit. And, you know, you mentioned like something regarding the culture. So now out of curiosity, and I'm not sure if, if coaching can fix this problem, but I, I, I'm going to tell you my own, uh, I would say, observations. Um, 
you mentioned you, people might agree or not about the value customer first, all this. So usually in any startup environment or any startup, they put some, you know, let's call it vision plus culture, right? They say we're going to be the number one to do this. We're going to be customer first. We're going to be this, that. Now, that's fine. And then, you know, they have also their own internal from organization perspective, their culture as well. So we see this, and I asked a couple of people, and you know there are different opinions. Now, okay, first year, everything is like fine, working perfectly, no problem. And then we start, they reach a point where everything starts to change. Although like still the founders, they talk, yeah, we still need the value. We will be the company that will be iconic. We will be the company that we want people to work for us for tens of years we want to be you know i'm just mentioning some i'm I'm making that out of my head but if you come to the reality to, to the ground as we say to the field we see something completely different why do you think this happens vladimir and do you think really and you know some people told me you know what Mehmet, like once the organization scale there is no way that you can keep this culture things gonna start to to deviate <sighs> I believe, yeah, but we know we can still stick to the basics. But we don't, unfortunately, especially, you know, in, in this time, I'm not seeing that a lot. So first, why do you think this, you know, shift happens? And really, is there a way to keep it, to 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 make it, even if we are like 50,000 employees, 100,000 employees, we can go back and stick to what we started the company with from culture, values, and vision perspective? That's a fantastic question, and it actually keeps me up at night sometimes. I think that culture is an emerging property of the individuals which are part of the group. If you take mm -hmm. any two unique individuals and you put them in a room, regardless of what their beliefs are, the implementations of those beliefs and values within their, between these two individuals would be different if you take any other two individuals and you put them in a different room, even if their definitions of the words would be the same. It's just, there's so many things that is in our head, so much experience, so many uh, different uh, visions that we have. So when it comes to incorporating that blue dress or gold dress, it will come out differently. Um, there are some videos uh, out there, um, I think on Instagram, where there's a piece of paper stuck to the person's back and you're trying to draw an image and the other person tries to interpret oh, what yeah. that is. So kind of that broken telephone uh, situation is happening here when we're trying to implement the culture. Now, I think innately, we have all good intentions for what we want to us to experience and for the others who work in our company to experience. But at the end, it's gonna be slightly different uh, between the two groups. Um, what happens as the company grows and new people get added, all of a sudden, we need to make room for interpretation of that new person joining. So that means the culture that starts to emerge between the two people has to change when the third one comes in, fourth one comes in, fifth one comes in, and so on. But over time, each additional person makes a smaller impact on the culture of the organization because that culture has already been predefined. So in the, in the beginning, the new joiner says like, hey guys, let's do culture this way. And the organization says, okay, let's change for that. Or 
when the last person comes in and said 20,000 person organization, they come in and say like, hey guys, tell me what what the culture is so I, I can adjust myself to that and be the most productive. I don't think that small group values can exist in a large group, uh, group without making adjustments. If you take a basketball team, which is always five people, it's hard for that basketball team to identify as a full soccer team, which is double its size. Now, it's a very simple argument because <laughs> there are certain restrictions for identity when it comes with certain values. You're fast and nimble, but it's hard to be a 100,000 person organization, which is fast and nimble because you have different attributes of culture of 100,000 organization. 100,000 organization usually has things like reliable, powerful, could be effective, scalable, fundable, and so on. Mm -hmm. Those attributes cannot be translated to a small organization, which definitely is agile, definitely is extremely flexible, definitely like more 24-7, definitely can operate on all different uh, frequencies at the same time while burning the founders out, of course. So I think some values, like individual personal values, like to say kindness, could be translated. But some yeah. other attributes, I don't think are scalable because they're no longer applied to the identity of that in-group person who is part of the larger organization. If that makes sense. Uh... Yeah, makes sense. But I think there should be some transparency, Vladimir, from leadership perspective. And of course, I don't blame, especially first-time founders, because they never had to, to scale a business before. I can fully understand. And this is where the coaching is needed, I believe, because someone needs to tell them like, hey, down the road, we believe that this culture, I'm not saying it's bad, but down the road, it will not be... Uh, you know, applicable anymore, or it's not, uh, it doesn't, it will not make sense anymore. And people will actually mock you if you st still go and repeat this. Now you mentioned something and I have, you know, I usually, I don't make long uh, comments, but you mentioned something I like too much is when you gave the example of two people and actually, even if they have the same beliefs, they actually, they're going to maybe behave different way. And I always, you know, when I see someone comes to an organization and says, Hey, we did this at X company and we saw a huge, huge success. I said, hey, that could be true. Of course, it's true. You have your record there. But you need to understand, like, it's like, it is three-dimensional thing. So you have the X, Y, and Z. So at any point of time, you can be in the same location, but the time has changed. You know, and, and people forget, you know, this fourth dimension thing. And they think if we apply the same processes, the same concepts, I'm not saying they're going to fail, but they forget to assess, you know, are we actually 100% in the same location as we were doing this before? And I hate when people come and say, this is how we used to do it. And this is how we used to do every time win it. I'm not saying you didn't win, but you forget that your coordinates from time, location, you know, market conditions, we can put a lot of, of coordinates over there, right? It cannot be the same one that we are talking about today. No way. You know, like the people are different. The, the, maybe the product service, whatever we're trying to, to, to promote is completely different. So this is why 
you know, it was really, you know, something that clicked immediately in my mind, Vladimir. So thank you for bringing this. Absolutely. And actually, I have to add something to that. Please. Um, that's the main reason why I named my company Human Interfaces. Because every person, and this is a technical language now, so it is technical to be able to understand. <laughs> sure, no Each worries. person has their own language and their own protocol, their own cadence. So it's an interface that another person has to convert the protocols and adapt to. If you want to have a visual picture, everybody's like an octopus with a million tentacles when they meet, and only some of those tentacles will connect to each other and communicate in the language that those tentacles permit. But now if we scale it at the level of organization, we hit on upon on the restriction, which you just mentioned. While it did work at previous organization, it's only because a specific set of configurations, over a million possibilities have connected to make that result. And it was also iterated and perfected over time. So you wouldn't have an organizational learning curve has already been done. So when you're transferring nice. it in a new organization, while it is great to know that it's possible to be done a different way, you might not have all the Lego bricks to put that kit together to look at perfectly the way it was before. Right. And I think leaders should acknowledge this because unfortunately what I start to see Vladimir as well, and this is a feedback I'm hearing also from a lot of people. Uh, and, and, you know, this is again, while I believe having, you, you might or might not agree, I don't know, you might need to have multiple coaches on multiple things at the same time. So, you know, they bring someone and they say, hey, they tell the, the founder, you have to do this. And then the founder said, yeah, I have to do this. And then, you know, they spend time and they, 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 they put pressure on people and then still things not moving. Oh, you know what? The team is not good. We, not, we need to get rid of the team and then go bring in a new, like, let's say, sales team. And then the new sales team comes. Oh, it's the front end manager, frontline managers who need to be changed. And then, you know, they keep trying to justify uh, their concept, which I'm not saying it doesn't work, but it doesn't work for this particular startup right so it worked for other startups because they are in different domain they 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 their dynamics is different but i feel sorry for these founders that you know they blindly and you mentioned this before when we're talking about coaching that they are in the driver's seat they they need to take the decision they need to assess they need to measure but some i think that some of them they they become reluctant and you know they say okay uh let, let the, the, the coach or let whoever I bring, the consultant, do the, the job. I will review it every quarter and see what we need to do about it. And I think this is very, very dangerous, Vladimir, right? Uh, absolutely. And let me comment on that. Um, going to the beginning, I completely agree that multiple types of coaches in very different industry or just experiences are extremely useful. Going back to the concept of exposure. Mm -hmm. You know there's light at the end of the tunnel. You don't have to walk through the whole tunnel. You just need to know that there is light at the end of that tunnel. Then you're right. ready to invest the time and money and whatever you need in the effort to get to the end of that tunnel. But if you don't know the tunnel exists or the light exists at the end of the tunnel, it's harder to proceed. And for your second right. point, it's hard to be in a driver's seat, especially if you haven't done that before. And I've been there and I'm doing that regularly month to month in different kinds of situations. Because again, context changes, people changes, problems change. What is important to figure out in those moments is how can you make a decision without having exposure to the experience? 
one of the methodologies that uh, worked for me and I uh, learned it from others is that when you are trying to make a decision between a couple of things that you have not experienced with, best is to compare them against each other. So if you are trying to, if you're a founder, a technology founder who has no experience in legal, how do you find a good lawyer, right? So you don't know anything about contracts. You don't know anything about clauses. How do you compare them? Hire three of them at the same time. Mm -hmm. Have them do one contract. Go through that human experience. And then I have a fourth one. Verify what they have done. Now, will you become a better lawyer? Maybe, maybe not. But what you see is the properties and features of the things that are emerging during that contrast where in the conversations of lawyers that you can realize proxies is assessment of their intellect or their, sorry, not intellect, their talent when it applies to the legal experience and legal product that you need to receive back from them. It It's the same concept, unfortunately, when it comes to referrals, because referrals only tell you what has worked in the past in the other organization in that context. It's much better than right. no referral, but still kind of the same uh, system applies for you to pick uh, the better person who can solve the problems for you in a context uh, that you don't have much about. Yeah. Uh, Vladimir, one more thing because we, we come to, to, to close. Now, I know because you, you, you have the chance to work with multiple founders and, you know, multiple uh, clients of yours. So this is out of curiosity from, uh, you know, trends perspective. So, so what are like some of the trends in technology um, that that you believe it's 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 uh, you know coming and it's you know being affecting and uh, leaving impact and how you know for you as coach you know you you get the exposure to to see these technologies coming and how it might affect uh, our our future. Um, I'll be a little bit biased, but anything <laughs> around personal development technology has mm -hmm. been. Uh, making a tremendous impact on the cultures of organization. I think as the world and not just technologies, we have evolved to respect um, thoughts as a different dimension that has to be navigated, can be navigated with help of others. It's not our, how shall I say, I don't want to say irresponsibility, but it, we don't have to be in our heads our own hats all the time. It's okay to let other people into your hats through the help of coaching, mm -hmm. mentorship, uh, or therapy in order to navigate this world because our brain is incredibly complex and the way it's processing information is not very, um, how shall I say, um, it's not always in intuitive, like you're using yes. your own brain to analyze others and it's good to include other people as part of that process. And I think it's a very new thing for the world at large uh, and we're also seeing a lot of technologies which are trying to help us, whether it be ChatGPT coaching uh, or uh, a type of coaching where now virtual coaching is available over the internet to majority uh, of the population uh, who want uh, to try this kind of thing. And if you take five, 10 years ago, that technology has not been available. I think what we have right now is actually a shortage of therapists and coaches to address all the needs. Uh, and that gets me excited about the future, that we're going to be more sensitive, we're going to be more understanding, we're going to be more empathetic of others when we are talking, when we're discussing, when we're building, which makes a much better world. Yeah, I'm also excited about that because, you know, at the end, we, we need to see more breakthrough 
technologies that can make our lives better. And um, it's like no more exciting time, as, as they say, than, than this. And I agree with you. Like, and this is why I'm encouraging everyone now you know, to, to seek for someone to coach them, seek someone. Because if you keep this idea in your mind and you never share it with, with the other people, it will not be able to to come to 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 life and to reality. And you know, thank you, Vladimir, for you because you're playing a role in in this uh, from the place where you are. And this is why are we. This is usually the question I ask at the end: How people can find more about you and interact with you? Absolutely. Thank you for asking that question. And I actually have a special for today's show. Uh, my website is humaninterfaces.co, and if you append slash Mehmet at the end of it, then you'll get a free 45-minute complimentary coaching oh, session nice. that uh, you, you can schedule with me and we can uh, address any of the growth obstacles that you're currently facing. That's very generous from you, Vladimir. Uh, the link will be in the show notes. So if you want to get the chance to have this uh, consultation session with Vladimir, go to the show notes. You will find the link over there. And uh, yeah, so I, I, I hope, you know, from my perspective, I could, you know, let someone benefit uh, out of the session also as well, because, you know, we, we met and uh, we did this episode today together, Vladimir. Um, you know, honestly, it's, it's always uh, nice to talk to people like yourself, Vladimir, who are trying to make the world a better place and just by sharing their knowledge by sharing their uh, perspective i would say on on especially in, in a field which is very close to my heart technology and startups entrepreneurship so thank you very much vladimir for the time today and all the insights you gave and i highly you know advise everyone to go seek for a coach i figured out that very late in 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 my professional life so if you are just starting out you should go and seek you know, a coach. So this is something you should not neglect and say, hey, I can do it all by, by myself. And uh, as Vladimir said, you know, if, if you are listening or watching this, you can benefit from the link uh, that Vladimir has uh, generously gave us for uh, this uh, uh, consultation session. And this is the way we end every episode. Thank you for tuning in. If it's your first time here, uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode and you can subscribe to the podcast on any podcast application you're using today. If you're watching this also, like don't forget to subscribe and share it with your friends and colleagues. And hope to see you again very soon in a new episode. Thank you very much. Thank you, Vladimir, for your time today. Thank, Thank you. you for having me, Mehmet. Have a great day. Hit that subscribe button. Share the show with your tech-savvy friends and fellow entrepreneurs. And leave us a review on your favorite podcast app. Your support means the world to us.